Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is the show where each and every week we do our darndest to shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. And uh, Cole Wissinger and I, we take that responsibility seriously. That we do. And we are going to continue with that mission statement uh, by giving you the very best in entertainment news. That's how we start the show every week, and this week, like all others, full of news around the entertainment world. And, you know, we do like to focus on the good news mainly, but every once in a while, there is a bit of sad news that we feel obligated to share with you. Mm-hmm. And today is no exception, because as I'm sure you've heard by now, Luke Perry of 90210 fame has died at the age of 52. Aww. That is sad. 90210 fame for you, Riverdale fame, as far as I'm concerned. Well, yeah, you have to understand I'm the youngest of my family, so I grew up with my older siblings watching 90210. And, uh, yeah, Luke Perry was the heartthrob back in the day, he and Jason Priestley. I mean, he's still the handsome dad on Riverdale. On Riverdale. <laughs> right. Only 52 years old. That's... Pretty young to oh. die. So they were the, the two of them were the heartthrobs. Then there was that other guy that was in all the Sharknado movies that wasn't as much the heartthrob, but he surprisingly has aged quite well compared to the others. Anyway, um, Luke Perry appeared in some movies that people really love, like The Fifth Element, and I was a big fan growing up of the film Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The film, not the TV show. Right. Well, this is the film that led to the TV show, mm-hmm. both created by Joss Whedon. I I don't think I've ever seen such a huge outpouring of support for his for a, a deceased person's family. I just scrolled through pages and pages and pages of tweets from celebrities saying, "Oh, he was the nicest guy. He had the biggest heart." I didn't know him all that well outside of nine hundred two one zero and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But uh, by all accounts, seemed like a great guy. And yeah, now what are they going to do with Riverdale? Apparently, they had a. Sweet tribute episode to him. I don't know. I don't watch ah. Riverdale. Cole, Cole I watches it. Wait right? for it to get to Netflix <laughs> and then I catch up on it. Okay. It's a little bit different. And speaking of sweet tributes, we're going to mention one here in just a minute. Idris Elba is replacing Will Smith as Deadshot in the Suicide Squad sequel. See, I'm surprised by this a little bit. I kind of feel like Idris Elba is above this role. I think that this is the best news to come out of D.C. By the way, you didn't even let me do my... Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. Ah, It's this week in D.C. news. Even though that this is the (laughs) coolest thing that we've gotten to hear. Idris Elba coming to this means that this is going to be... It's going to be better. Like, Will Smith was kind of... Is, he, I, love, I love his movies so much, but he's on the downswing of his career. And so him being Deadshot was just kind of get butts in seats. Mm. But with James Gunn on The Suicide Squad, and now you have Idris Elba signing on when he could be doing so many other things, this kind of gives it clout. This might be a real thing. This might make it so that he can't be in the James Bond movies. But maybe he was never in those negotiations to begin with. I have to say, Suicide Squad, thus, it's the most confusing sequel plan slash not sequel I've ever heard. I still don't know what's going on. I guess I'll just have to watch the movie. Yeah, we'll get it figured out one of these days. And so will the filmmakers, hopefully. Somebody in the DC universe will get things back on track. I believe in you, James Gunn. Or you can do it. on track, not even back on track. And uh, speaking of going to the movies... We've talked a lot about Movie Pass over the course of our show, and we've also mentioned briefly this other pass called Cinemia, which is the pass that I currently have. So Movie Pass sort of dead because two days ago they just released another press statement saying we're going to remodel our business model again, and they still don't really know what they're doing. They've they've purchased Movie Phone, which is kind of a movie review thingamajig. So Movie Phone, that was the thing where you'd call to see what time a movie was showing and say. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Movie Phone. If you know the name of the movie you'd like to see, press one. Exactly. In a okay. voice very similar to that. I'm pretty sure Jeff Simpson actually used to voice Movie Phone. <laughs> oh, that sounded better if I didn't have my cold. Mickey, tell us about this new Cinemia plan offering. Okay, so this is this is what I understand. For $70, you can purchase $100 of movie tickets. Right. So it's kind of like buying a gift card. I at looked Costco, at it right? and thought it's like, you know, unlimited movies forever like Movie Pass. So I almost bought it. Did a little research. That's not what it is. Could mm-hmm. still potentially be 
a good deal for you if you're an avid moviegoer. And really, $100 worth of movies, if you go into a theater that, that hits you twelve ninety nine per time, you're going to get through that in right. real quick. So just make sure you do the research before you sign up for anything like this. It could still be a good deal, but maybe not what you thought. If something mm-hmm. sounds as good as MoviePass in 2019, it's probably not right. real. Maybe right. someday. I, I still have hope. Cole, apparently there's something special about today. Today is International Women's Day. Yay! Yay. <laughs> we love you women. In or... honor of National Women's Day, in a happy coincidence <laughs> or probably due to some clever marketing, Marvel's very first women, woman-led movie is coming out, half-women-directed Captain Marvel. And Cole and I saw it. It starts out with the bang. It has this... It starts off with tears. <clears throat> right? I... Okay, don't spoil it. I haven't seen it. No, it's well, it's a tribute to somebody else that has passed on. I'll give I you cried. a hint. It's not Luke Perry. I had I had tears in my eyes before the movie even began. Really, a bang of tears oh, for I Cole. I think I know who it is. My goodness, it starts off on a high note. Brie Larson, her character's name is Vares. Sort of. Yes. Keep well, on. well, you don't want to spoil. No spoilers in this in this review. Okay. So she's training to be a warrior on the Kree planet of Hala. And under the tutelage of, get this name, Jan Rog, who's played by Jude Law, Vares... Many of these Kree names are going to have hyphens in them. Right. Vares learns to control her special powers. Now, she's lost her memory, so she spends the bulk of the movie trying to figure out who she is, where she comes from. And after being captured by this other group of aliens called the Skrulls, they're these shape-shifting enemies of the Kree, she manages to escape, crash-landing into a blockbuster video. The first <laughs> of the first of many references of defunct 90s products, all of which will elicit big laughs from the audience. Did you laugh at all these references to the 90s, Cole? It was the humor in general of this movie is different from what you kind of expect. Marvel has a certain brand of, in my opinion, terribly placed humor. This was also kind of weird, but it was at least a little different from what we've gotten out of Marvel. It was a different kind of comedy, and I liked that. It was a little unfair to the 90s and, you know, probably kind of an easy target. Uh, Yeah, Um, but I still, I did laugh more at this than I have in a a few Marvel movies. And speaking of laughs, I'm not going to spoil who the comic relief in the movie (laughs) is, but it comes from a very unexpected yet welcome source. If we're going to avoid spoilers, then I will talk generally about the fact that I thought... Halfway through the movie, I was thinking, oh, man, this guy is in just the other role. He's exactly what we expect. I'm kind of sick of this. And then as soon as I thought that, the next scene was where we kind of got that twist. And I was in all the way for the rest of the movie. We'll give you a a little clue, though. Aliens, too, love soda pop. So there you go. Wrapping up the plot, can Vares learn her true identity and harness her powers in time to ward off a major war? (gasps) Maybe an, even an intergalactic war. <gasps> so what I like about this movie, the aliens in the MCU movies seem to me to be more human than their human counterparts. Like the humans are just so focused on, you know, let's save the universe. And most of these aliens, they just want to save their families or they want to save their home planet. You know, so they're just I feel like they're more human and they're more loving and they're more down to earth, humble I can't even say people, but beings, right? One thing I will say about Brie Larson in this role, I'm not sure if it's the writing or if if it's her casting in the role. It was somewhere in between. I, I just kind of felt like she, and I'm not alone on this, I've read plenty of reviews that have said she doesn't have much of a personality. The And it sort of makes sense in textual. The thing that I hope for here. Because I agreed it lacked the chemistry that you're used to getting sure. out of these Marvel movies. Marvel was based around their big stars and how fun it was to smash them together in the Avengers and how well they worked off each other. There are some amazing performances from the supporting cast, but when they interact with Brie Larson, it's like they're interacting with a cardboard cutout of Brie Larson. It's just not – She jokes not around, bad. so you can tell that she's supposed to be funny, but she's not funny as in the same way she was in the 21 – in 21 Jump Street, mm-hmm. right? Or even as dramatic. 
dramatic as she was in Room, which is one right. of my favorite which movies. Which got she's, her the Oscar. She's an amazing actress, and it's just kind of weird to see her do what she did in this movie. The hope that I have, though, is that sometimes when you take this one character out of their solo film, out of their origin story, and put them into a team-up, they loosen up a little bit. Black Panther was totally cooler in Civil War than he was in his own movie. I totally agree with you. And to be fair to Brie Larson, yeah, there are several other of these actors that it kind of took them a movie before they got into sync with the character. Like, I felt that way about Chris Pratt in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I thought by the time the second movie came around, he was, you know, he was into the character. Mm -hmm. Another thing that you'll notice in this is that Marvel de-aged Samuel L. Jackson significantly. Once they show him running on camera... It adds those years <laughs> right back because you can tell it's this it's this really old guy that's trying to run away. I can audibly hear people in my theater saying, why is he running so weird? <laughs> right. It's because Sam Jackson is an old man. Now, speaking of something else that's a little out of sync with an original movie. So there's another character that comes back from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Or I guess this is a We know prequel. that Lee Pace's Ronan the Accuser is in this movie. So what happened to his faux British accent? It's also, totally gone. What in happened this movie. to him just being a part of it, it? This movie had maybe one too many plot lines, which a lot of cl- comic book movies get caught up in. And if I could make any additions, subtractions, or advice, you know, from my standpoint to these professional filmmakers, I would say just cut Lee Pace out of it entirely. We didn't need that mm. extra connection to the rest of the universe. He was just kind of there, and then they resolved his thing, and then he was done. He didn't do much. Well, anyway, I think this goes back to what you were saying, Cole, during the break, that this is kind of in a slightly above average Marvel movie, and that's kind of what you, the indicator you get on Rotten Tomatoes, if, if you like looking at that. from the critics, but I enjoyed it. I would definitely see it again. And when my friend texted me and asked if I wanted to go see it, instead of saying, I've already seen it, I just said, sure, when do you want to go? So that's our thoughts on – those are our thoughts on Captain Marvel, which is out this weekend. You can go enjoy, and I don't think you'll be one of those naysayers, and I don't think you'll give it a negative review. Speaking of fans, we are going to be talking about fan theories – Things that uh, fans use to fill in the blanks of movies or to extend the universe of movies that they love that are so near and dear to their hearts. And Cole, when we come back, will explain what that is all about on Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We have got such an interesting and maybe even controversial show today, I dare say, because today we are going to be covering the topic of fan theories. Now, we during the break, Mickey and I were talking about how we're not really ones that, you know, create these theories around these movies. Boring. But it is still fun to hear some of these <laughs> theories. Some of them are going to be a little out there, a little bonkers. Some of them are going to be ones that maybe were confirmed by the filmmakers themselves. And then we're also going to put our little creative hats on and come up with a fan theory or two of our own. But I'm going to let Cole, since he is really into fan theories and maybe even theorizes himself, then uh, we're going to let him talk a little bit more about this. Yeah, let's go ahead and explain really what we mean by a fan theory. When you're watching a television show or a movie or playing a video game, reading a comic book, you start to, you know, put the world together on your own. You're given one version of things, but as you try to, even before you get to the end of a movie, and especially it's susceptible in series of movies or television, before it gets to the end, before you know where the actual creators are going, you start to make just natural predictions yourself And when a lot of people get together and start to buy into one particular prediction, then it becomes a fan theory. So, you know, I've inferred things from movies like watching the film The Boss Baby, for instance. If you pay attention to the clues, which aren't very subtle, Mm -hmm. you you get the impression that the, the entire movie is in the imagination of the older brother. I think they make that very clear that it's not something that's really happening. Mm, You don't see a baby, like the baby's not actually talking. The baby is not, you know, in in danger by Steve Buscemi, who's the head of this evil corporation. It's very clear that it's 
uh, in his imagination. So that happens in the movie. We find out it's his his imagination in the movie. Right. Um, okay. Again, this isn't something that's confirmed. It's probably left more toward the audience. But this is pretty obvious. It's the ones that that really, you know, are not – the ones that are more subtle are the ones that I don't even – they fly right over my head. I don't even notice them. There's also a term called subtextual. So sure. you're talking about within the text of the movie, that was the intention and you got it. Maybe not everyone did, but sure. you, you get picked it that up. Boss Baby is in the head of this kid. Okay. So what's the first type of fan theory that we want to talk about? We want to talk about the really weird ones that okay. are out there because there's no way to dive into this without just going feet first. We want to talk about the really bonkers Because usually theories. most fan theories are bonkers, let's and be that's honest. The fu- that's the best way to do it, I think. I've got a theory that over 400 television shows that have aired across the years are all part of one connected, dare I say, cinematic universe. This all comes from a television show, Saint Elsewhere, where it's revealed in the final episode that the whole show was only in the imagination of a boy named Tommy Westfall. Well, if Tommy dreamed up the hospital and all the people therein, then when one of those people shows up in another show, that means Tommy dreamed that up too. Like when doctors Roxanne Turner and Victor Ehrlich cross over on Homicide, Life on the Streets. And when Detective John Munch visits Homicide, he then drags in the various law and orders that he was also on, and even X-Files from when he interviewed a specific cigarette-smoking man. That man was smoking a fictional brand of cigarettes that Tommy Westfall must have dreamed up, too. So when characters in Dick Van Dyke, Shameless, Orange is the New Black, Breaking Bad, and so many more smoke Morley cigarettes, they must all be in the mind of Tommy Westfall. And that is just one bonkers theory. Wow, that just blows my mind. We got to start big if we're going to talk fan theories. Yeah, this is like the ultimate fan theory. Well, so and speaking of Breaking Bad, a lot of people out there think that Breaking Bad is actually a prequel to The Walking Dead. Well, it would have to be a prequel because I don't remember any zombies (laughs) zombies? in Breaking Bad. The zombies just haven't made their way to Albuquerque yet. It's fine. There you go. But something from Albuquerque has made its way to the world of The Walking Dead because there's an episode where you see the blue meth from Breaking Bad. Ah, Interesting. In The Walking Dead. Walter White's trademark. Interesting. Yes. So, Mickey, I have I understand that you've got one yes, as well. Yes, this is one of my favorite all-time fan theories. This is where Mary Poppins kind of exists within the world of Harry Potter. Okay. There's a lot of evidence for that in that the magic is the same. You see the, like, bag that fits everything in it in both Harry Potter and Mary Poppins. Hermione's got a bag like that in the seventh book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they speculate that Mary Poppins' umbrella holds her wand and she's kind of in the muggle world to introduce the Banks children to Hogwarts. So it's through magic. They're coming up on okay. 11, and maybe which is gonna... a common thing in Harry Potter. And they're also able to do magic by snapping and cleaning up. Okay. So isn't that a little debunked, though, when the Banks children grow up and they didn't attend Unfortunately, Hogwarts? Unfortunately, this was created before. For Mary okay. Poppins' return, there you go. So whether or not you're adding that that movie in as, but what if Mary canon? Poppins wasn't a wizard, and what if she was really a Time Lord? <gasps> Wait, explain what a Time Lord is. So from the Doctor <laughs> Who universe, which is another television show which has been going on for a very long time. Yes, the Doctor takes on a lot of different faces because in universe it's an excuse for needing a different actor he regenerates and And it's currently played by a woman Mm -hmm. jodie whittaker okay well mary poppins if we take this new sequel into account has also changed her face over the time Mm. she now looks like emily blunt she has a bag that she can reach into seems to be endless and and dare i say bigger on the inside than it is on the outside similar Mm. to what a tardis does for the doctor okay interesting I've got one that I found that I thought was quite interesting, not, and not just because I'm a huge fan of the film Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's probably it, it is my favorite '80s movie. Um, Cameron Fry is the mopey, brooding teen who's really played by a mid twenties guy um, who doesn't want to do anything but just stay home sick because 
he's either legitimately sick or it's all in his mind. And speaking of it all being in his mind, he has this really cool friend named Ferris Bueller, the titular character. And some people hypothesize that maybe Ferris Bueller is a figment of Cameron's imagination. Ferris Bueller is kind of the cooler alter ego of Cameron that, you know, that's who he wishes he could be. And so he just imagines up all these cool things that they do together. Sad. I think this is a a pretty cool theory. It's his own little version of Tyler Durden in Fight Club. That Again, this yeah. is the difference between textual and subtextual. In Fight Club, Tyler Durden is a figment of the narrator. The narrator, is what he's called. Jack, whatever. Yeah. Yes. yeah, his mind. But it, this is a theory. So there's also a theory that Fight Club is just a grown-up version of uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Interesting. Where yeah. Calvin is the narrator, and he's as he grows up, instead of just imagining loose, fun times with his little tiger, he grows up and has more grown-up fantasies. Well, that's really out there. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, you know, it was all their imagination, going back to Breaking Bad, too, in the last episode, and if uh, if you don't want it spoiled, then you are one of the few people that hasn't seen the rest of Breaking Bad at this point, uh, you may want to skip ahead, <laughs> but... Um, Walter White goes out in a blaze of glory, and in the process, he dies. Um, But there are a lot of people that say that he died before this final encounter with the bad guys. I'm going to be very vague on this for your sake. Um, And that there's a scene where he is trying to steal a car, and he's in this snowstorm, and he's also hiding from the police, and he's not able to jumpstart it or find the keys to the car. And so a lot of people say that Walter White actually dies in the car and this whole idea of him going out in a blaze of glory and everything being tied up in a nice, neat package uh, was all just his imagination imagination. as he was dying. Uh, There's a lot of imagination uh, fan theories. I know there's a Harry Potter one where he just imagined the whole thing from the cupboard under the stairs because his life was so sad. Oh. Isn't that sad? sad. It all being in your head is a variation of they were dead the whole time as well, where it's kind of, instead of just being in their head, it's the afterlife or whatever they project at that to be. Greece is theorized to be this. Mm. The entire plot of the video game The Majora's Mask from Legend of Zelda is theorized to be after Link had died. The Rugrats are just Angelica's projections. projections. And if you want to uh, be completely depressed and scar your children for life, why not watch the... Uh, on the So on Netflix you can watch all the Disney animated shorts or a bunch of them. And there's one called The Little Match Girl... Where she's this poor little girl who imagines this, this, uh, I don't know if she's a nun or she's, I think she thinks it's her grandma or somebody coming and rescuing her and, and putting her in their home and there's this nice fire and she's celebrating Christmas and all that. No, turns out the girl freezes to death. <laughs> it's a sad story. Super depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, if you want to laugh, this one's not really, uh, it's not really putting it out there as, this is what this is all about, or it's more meant as a joke. And once again, getting back to Breaking Bad, Walter White wakes up in this bed and he's freaking out. And it's actually um, Malcolm's dad from Malcolm in the Middle. And his wife wakes up and it's his wife from Malcolm in the Middle. And this is after Malcolm in the Middle has ended, obviously, and after Breaking Bad has ended. And he's saying, oh my gosh, I had this terrible dream. I was this meth lord and I was married to this blonde woman and his wife just laughs it off. She's like, yeah, like that would ever happen. (laughs) And it was just a fun way to reunite these characters in something that was clearly meant to be a joke. Although I think they pan over and you see um, Walter White's hat that he wears whenever he's Heisenberg, you know. So just some really fun ones. That begs the question, why do we make these fan theories? Are they just for fun and for jokes, or do they have a a deeper psychological reason? Some people are pretty serious about them, Mm -hmm. uh, and others, other times it's just for fun. Um, I think it might be a way to kind of continue to live within your favorite story. Right, after the show's ended, right? Mm -hmm. I think maybe sometimes it happens when you're not satisfied with the way a show ended, or where you're not satisfied with a, a particular plot point. 
And that leads into our next little section where people make up theories to cover up uh, lazy writing or something else within their universe. Hmm. I've got a theory that 007 is just a code name for the man to don the nice suit. We all know that six different actors have played James Bond in the movies, but why different people all going by the same name? Now, MI6 is clearly a secret organization that operates in deception. Is it not possible that each of these men take on the name of James Bond when Her Majesty needs something new, or a new villain has a new plan to destroy the world? The second James Bond, George Lazenby, even admits it when he wryly says, This never happened to the other fellow. Referring to Sean Connery, of course. But that's just one theory to figure out a real-world problem. This is a really interesting one. Um, So, again, it goes back to what we were just talking about surrounding people's motives for creating these fan theories. They want to explain why the universe was a way that it is other than just the screenwriter didn't think about that. Right. And, you know, they they want to defend something that is so beloved to them as well. One that I have that I was talking to Cole about the other day was... Because you need to defend it because it needs defense <laughs> no, because Cole. it's so bad. What is it? What is Cole it? is not a fan of The Dark Knight Rises. And there are plenty of people out there who will say, like, well, why did this happen? This makes no sense, or the timing of this makes no sense. And one example that comes up in that movie is while Batman is – he's trapped under in this underground prison, and the only way to get out is to make basically this gigantic leap and that that he can then uh, climb the wall to get out of this this underground prison fortress or whatever prison Prison. there you go uh while this is going on all heck is breaking loose back in gotham with bane you know wreaking havoc and his ticking time bomb right right cole thinks that's so cliche but what movie doesn't have some element of cliche in it but anyway so a lot of people take issue with the fact that um, Batman, who is probably in some other country in this underground prison, is very quickly, when once he's able to escape, he's able to get back to Gotham just in time to save everybody. And it's because Batman can teleport like Nightcrawler. Uh, no, that's not the <laughs> plot hole. I mean, that's uh. not what I'm going to use to explain this away. The thing that I'm going to latch on to here is that... Christopher Nolan is notorious, and even you, Cole, when I told this to you, you thought, oh, maybe there's something to that. Christopher Nolan is notorious for playing with timelines in his movies, where we're seeing flashbacks, where we're seeing things, you know, in the future, we're seeing things in the present, and never really, you never really know, like, right when it's happening, what timeline you're on, or like when things are happening, right? So why can't it be that... Even though it appears that things are about to hit the fan back in Gotham, that what we're seeing with Batman in this underground prison happened previously, and that, you know, they're they're using this so that you don't have to see his journey all the way to get back to Gotham. You know, why isn't it possible that we're seeing the timing is is different, just like with pretty much every other—no, not even pretty much every—he plays with timing in every Christopher Nolan movie. Except um, for the other Batman. Movies. I guess the only thing you could say that might debunk that is I th- I seem to remember that he had a TV in this prison because that was one of the things that Bane was using to taunt Batman and seeing like... And it also takes is... some time to heal a broken back to the point where you can leap out of this little hole. And Bane broke his back and then immediately took over Gotham. But again, we don't know how much time has, has transpired, right? And the bomb starts ticking... And they make a point to anyway. They're I'm going to go back home. Suspended today. disbelief is a good thing to have sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> another one of my pastimes is poking holes in fan theories I'm that gonna, I don't like. I'm going to watch it tonight just to spite you, Cole. Okay. All right. You'll have to. That's two and a half hours you won't get back. Okay. There's a lot of other reasons, though, that people will try to make up when they when they love something a lot. Like, I love Pokemon a lot. But it's really weird that they let this 11-year-old kid just wander the countryside on his own, gathering um, creatures, creatures far and wide that he puts into little fighting rings and let them 
go at each other. That's right? how it used to be, and though. Growing up for me, like you could just go out and spend all the time you wanted. Like on a journey, though, like to this all is across like the Kanto region. Like, right. It was all in his, in like, his this imagination. Is, this Cole. is not him playing on the block. You know, this is like a a trek. Okay. And where's the adult supervision? Mm. And his rival. Blue or Gary or whatever you named him in the video game, um, <laughs> his rival was also an orphan. And okay. so where's his parents? And why are mm. all these people old? And why is the third gym leader a lieutenant from a mysterious war? Interesting. Is it because all of the normal middle-aged people went off to fight this great war <gasps> and they all died? And the only people that came back are lieutenants or, or people talking about the war, or you have a lot of very old people. All of a sudden you have an entire society that's revolving around gyms and medical centers and all of these things to train, and you now rely on these creatures so much, and you'll just let an 11-year-old walk around? This is so bleak. It's such Which a... version of Pokemon is this? Red and blue. The, the oh, first couple video say, games. I, on Diamond, I have a mom in it. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are talking about. But that sounds like a really bleak theory for this kids show and game that's supposed to bring children so much happiness and joy. You know who else brings happiness and joy? Who? Robin Williams. Oh, of course. Very true. So, the rule of funny says he can just do whatever he wants, but we want to put boundaries on that, right? Don't we? Yeah, and I'm glad you're bringing up this example because there the, the most fan theories I've seen revolve around Disney movies, and this is one that I've heard before, but apparently uh, the genie from Aladdin is also the street peddler that is the narrator of the movie, basically. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So here's what I don't understand about that, though. Like, So the genie is free, can go anywhere, do anything, and he still has his magical powers. He's just free. Unlimited and, cosmic power. And yet he chooses to spend his time, you know, hawking junk on the street, <laughs> the streets of Agrabah. Telling a story of his best friend. Wasn't that one confirmed also? Wasn't there like some deleted scene? I, I That's believe, what I read about that I believe that the one. filmmakers confirmed that. That that yeah. was true. Yeah. He was. But I maybe notice. it's because the world around him is no longer. <gasps> really? What if Agrabah is in a post-apocalyptic future and that's why Robin Williams can make jokes and references to the 90s in his humor how is he doing a rodney dangerfield impression if we're in the middle ages of the middle east or whenever this is supposed to be hmm. maybe it's because the whole world has been exploded and the only thing left is nuclear wasteland of desert and agravah is this one city left that we've never heard of in our present day so it's got to be in the future well then what about hercules and all the pop culture references they make in that same thing same thing <laughs> Really? <laughs> All right. Here's a good one that kind of is covering up for some sloppy filmmaking. Okay. So Jack Leonardo DiCaprio from Titanic mm -hmm. is actually a time traveler sent to save Rose from the Titanic, which would explain that thing where people are mad that both of them could have fit on the little raft at the end, but he... He dies at the end. So he was always meant to save her and die. Right. And Interesting. apparently his the clothing that he wears in the movie are <laughs> not <laughs> would not have been appropriate for the era that he mm. lived in, so he could have some futuristic clothing. He also apparently says that he claims to have gone ice fishing at Lake Wisota. <gasps> Which is a, a man-made lake in Wisconsin, which was built in 1917, five years after the Titanic oh boy. sank. Oh, boy. Confirmed. He's from you the know, future. I, I think there's some truth to this because, listen to this, who directed Titanic? James, James Cameron. Cameron. Who directed Terminator? James. And listen to this. Terminator is about... A, a guy from the future who goes back in time to save a woman who is going to give birth to the man that will grow up to be this savior in this post-apocalyptic world. So I think, yeah, there's some truth to that. And who knows? 
maybe uh maybe Titanic is a prequel and or sequel to the Terminator. I hope that Avatar is somehow in that cycle as well. Hmm. Okay. That would that's what I hope. So We've already covered plot holes or fan theories to cover up plot holes, and we've also talked about just the really out there bonkers fan theories. And when we return, we we might give you one of our own theories, as well as talk about some of the theories that have been either confirmed or denied. That's coming up next on our special fan theory episode of Screen Cleaning. got a theory that Stan Lee is actually a watcher and the MCU confirmed it how could one man make so many cameos across so many movies across space and time well he would have to be an eternal being tasked to watch the goings on of earth he appears as a FedEx agent passenger on a bus intergalactic barber and so many more Finally, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, he was seen talking to Uatu and the other Watchers, telling them about all the stories he has and all the things that he has seen. And that is just one theory that has been confirmed. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Today, we are talking about fan theories. These are the... we're fans and we have theories. <laughs> That's right. Well, more cold, more so cold than either Mickey or I. But, uh, yeah, these are the things that, that people come up with to either defend a movie that they're really passionate about or to keep the story going. Or, you know, maybe they're just conspiracy theorists. I don't know. They, it's really, really fun to just make predictions wildly and see what happens. And then, see what sticks. Unfortunately, you do eventually have to see what happens and your mm. fan theory will be either confirmed or denied by the canon of the universe. So let's talk a little bit about what that means and, and what makes canon. There are a lot of theories that we're going to not mention in particular about Star Wars or about Game of Thrones where they're, or about Harry Potter a lot when they were ongoing to see what was going to happen next. And then the creators, the screenwriters or the authors went in a different direction, which by nature denies that theory. Sure. Yeah, and we already kind of talked about uh, the or the genie from Aladdin being the street peddler at the beginning of the film. And there are plenty of them in, in Disney where, and I don't know if we could technically say that these are confirmed, but just to give you an example of Frozen, how we don't actually see the parents die. We just see the ship go ride one of the waves and then the parents are no longer there. And a lot of people think that... Uh, Queen Elsa and Princess Anna's parents did not die in that uh, shipwreck. Oh, boy. But that they actually ended up on in this jungle and gave birth to a little boy before being killed by a lion. And that little boy is Tarzan. Now, this is one of those theories that the, the, uh, the filmmakers thought, oh, we kind of always had that in the back of our mind when we were making this. I don't know that we could really say that that is confirmed, but uh, yeah, and it could have been one of those things, who knows, that they saw this fan theory and they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, that was right. that was something that uh, we were considering all along, yeah. So do the creators have that say? Did they get to tell you what's true and what's not Ooh. when the universe has closed? So I feel like you're talking about something like canon. Right. And, okay. and one author that has expanded her canon more than anyone else is J.K. Rowling. Mm -hmm. How so? So her thing is kind of like whatever she says, like she's the, the master of the universe. So whatever she says is canon. Hmm. So she can she has come out. She's called herself the, the master of the universe. No, she hasn't. But I thought that was he man. That's the best way to describe okay. it. Okay. She has come out with several things since the release of uh, Harry Potter, the final book, and those rules apply. There's a bunch of different hmm. examples. The People have Pottermore th Twitter is very active. Now, are these... And the reason for this is because Harry Potter, when it was happening, was a very fan-engaged kind of thing. And people would be making predictions to see what would happen. And they kept doing that after the fact. People tweet at J.K. Rowling saying, hey, what do you think about this theory? And she will say, nope, 
Or, or she'll yep. say, yes, that's what I thought the whole time. So do you feel, first of all, this seems like a little too much power to have. I don't know if we can entrust <laughs> all of this power to one person. But well, is we, she Fantastic Beasts maybe proves that we shouldn't. <laughs> but, but, uh... <laughs> I might agree with you on that one. So is she doing this? To uh, is she, are, do you feel like there are certain fan theories that she's like, hmm, that sounds good. Yeah, we'll make that canon. Or do you feel like she's doing this to cover up her own plot holes? These these uh, these little things that she's releasing that are now canon. What why what are they a result of Cole? What do you think? So she's said in the past when when there's a theory that she didn't think of, she's said, oh, this is my favorite fan theory, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily true. true. Others, when people thought that Ron was going to be Dumbledore, but with a time turner and he went back and that's how Dumbledore knows so much. And they're kind of both described as being tall and with long fingers and maybe the mm. same color eyes. And, but that was going on during the course of the books, and then it turned out not to be true. Is right. Dumbledore a redhead, though? We well, his hair was... White. He actually said... I think he's got auburn hair, it says, okay. in, in a flashback. Right. And mm-hmm. your your hair color can change over the years. I used right. to be it a redhead. <laughs> yeah. When you get old. Okay. So one of my favorites is from a film that we don't really talk about much on this show, and it's from Get Out. But we'll talk about it. It was nominated for a bunch of... Oscars, including Best Picture, and it won Best Original Screenplay. Jordan Peele wrote and directed that film. And some people, and if you're not familiar with the film Get Out, it's basically Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets The Stepford Wives in uh, a film in which this uh, white woman takes her black boyfriend to go meet her parents, who are very forward-thinking and progressive, but we really come to find out that they're just a different kind of racist, right? And so, uh, short or long story short, a lot of bad things go down, and a lot of fans out there think that perhaps Rod, the TSA agent, who is the friend of our protagonist, is imagining all these horrible things that are happening to his friend because he warns his friend, don't go there, they're going to do all these terrible things, they're going to sell you into slavery type of thing, and then... Not only do all these bad things happen, but then, spoiler alert, Rod, the TSA agent, is the one that comes in at the last minute and saves the day. So that's the one where, and Jordan Peele has said himself that he loves this theory. Unfortunately, he said it is 100% false. I really like this theory, though. I think it's really cool. And as I mentioned, Get Out was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, and it turns out maybe we've got a little bit of a fan theory surrounding this most recent Academy Awards ceremony. Cole? I've got a theory that the reason four categories were almost left out of the Oscars broadcast is because Disney had no stake in them. It caused a ruckus when the Oscars proposed announcing the winners of Best Live Action Short, Cinematography, Editing, and Makeup and Hair would not be televised during their broadcast to save time. But why these four categories? Well, it was definitely going to be some of the technical categories, even though cinematography and editing are unique to film and important. But why makeup instead of costumes? Why live action short instead of animated short? Well, the Oscars were broadcast on ABC, part of a larger Disney company. Watch an episode of Once Upon a Time if you don't believe me. And these four categories were the only ones outside the major awards that did not have a nominee coming from Disney, Marvel, Lucasfilm, or Pixar, the various arms of the Disney branch. Did Disney just want to make sure people were watching to see themselves get praise? I don't know. It's just a theory about real-world drama in the entertainment world. I think you're right, Cole. There's definitely something there disney They've got those deep pockets and those greedy little paws. Sometimes I can get more conspiracy theory than fan theory, but it's all Still right. fun. All in good fun, right? So, Mickey, uh, you and I are kind of new to this, but we thought it would be fun to kind of come up with our own fan mm-hmm. theories and, you know, just fantasize over, wouldn't it be cool if we're right? So let me talk about mine first, because we've already talked a little bit about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris yes. Bueller's Day Off. It uh, basically shows you what this really popular kid would do if he had a day off. And it also shows you, from an administrator's perspective, what it would be like to try to catch that kid in his lie, because this whole time Ferris has been pretending to be sick, 
And so it kind of goes back and forth between Ferris's adventures and uh, Ed Rooney's attempts to try to capture him and suspend him. I, I always, it's a little difficult to swallow the idea that an administrator would care that much to go after this kid and like put everything else in his day on hold. But anyway, there's also a movie called Election, also starring uh, Matthew Broderick. Now, fair warning, this is an R-rated film. You should not really uh, watch it with your kids ever or anybody that is familiar with Ferris Bueller's Day Off because they're meant for two different audiences. However, in this movie, Election, Matthew Broderick plays a high school teacher. So now he's the authority figure, and he happens to have a student that he really does not like. She's not very popular. However, she's very influential and very driven. She wants to be class president. And so he kind of sabotages her attempts or attempts to sabotage her bid for class president by convincing the popular high school football player to run for for class president. And so in a very real sense, he has become Ed Rooney or the very person that he was fighting against all his time growing up. So you have to think about what about the different names? How do you explain that away? Well, maybe he is in the witness protection program. <laughs> right. Maybe he got a little too careless and upset the wrong people in his earlier years that he had to go into witness protection and uh, become this other person and then became the person that he hated all along. Now, maybe. I, I've looked this theory up online because I wondered, am I the only one that thinks this? And there are plenty of other people out there who make this connection. At the very least, I feel like Election is a spiritual sequel to Ferris, <laughs> to Bueller's, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mickey, Fair. how about you? Okay, here is one that I'm so excited to have a public platform to release to okay. the public because I have told many of my friends and none of them believe me, but I think that it's real. So the film Coco. You've got my attention. About a young boy named Miguel wants to be a musician. Yes. Very important. Um, and he kind of has this adventure in the land of the dead. If you'll notice, if you pay attention to pop culture, you'll also notice that there is a singer who goes by only one name, Miguel. Hmm. And he also does the soundtrack he sings like the pop version of remember me at the end of coco okay my theory is these two are the same person <gasps> miguel from coco is based on the real life experience of this pop singer what? miguel he became famous as was his dream he loves music so it's flawless. Basically, everything that I thought about the afterlife is just totally false. Well, if it's based I mean, on a I don't true know story. what you think about the afterlife, so <laughs> <laughs> who am I to tell you? But if this is a true story, so be careful uh, on Dia de los Muertos because you might be Ooh. sucked into the land of the dead. But if I come out of it, you know, all of a sudden, much more talented musically... Well, and M if I could Miguel, win an Academy Award, <laughs> Miguel was already talented it. musically. I don't think that you you really get anything. You might learn a lesson about friendship or family, <laughs> but I don't really know if you'll have any extra talents. <laughs> I love the fake chipper voice you just used there. Friendship <laughs> or family with a big <laughs> smile on your face. Um, speaking of Coco, this is just a fun fact. It's not a fan theory, but the little boy who voiced Miguel was actually kind of just their. Uh, placement holder voiceover guy, basically, mm -hmm. until they found uh, the real Miguel. So he's rehearsing with them and doing his lines and everything, and they break the news to him during one of their recordings that, surprise, you're the new Miguel. And it's really cute, the video. If you have the extras for Coco, you should check it out. And he, boy, does he have a great voice. Yeah, he does. And that's why he's a singer. Yeah. <laughs> he's based on the life of the real Miguel, the singer. There you go. That's canon, according to Mickey Randall. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we hope you've had a wonderful time listening to us theorize about uh, some of these different movies that we love and enjoy. And again, we might not be right. We might be right. And the creators might latch on to that and say, sure, that's what I had in <laughs> mind all along. And sometimes we do it because we love something so much and we don't want to see other cruel people, <clears throat> Cole Wissinger, tear down what we love so much. 
So when we return, we are going to do a little panning for good by just talking about one more fan theory that leads into a movie that I do love. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. There's good in them dire hills. As we do with every episode of Screen Cleaning, we like to end things with our panning for good segment. And we've got another good one today. We've been talking fan theories on the show. One fan theory we didn't get to is that the Beatles never existed. What? That doesn't make no. any sense. How I, could I listen to their songs? Right. There's this guy <laughs> that dedicated this website to this theory where he points out, you know, in the various appearances of the Beatles, the height discrepancies, different eyebrows, changes in ear shape and changes in teeth from from appearance to appearance. And, uh, you know, I think he has since moved on to other theories, but I think he still firmly believes <laughs> yeah, that the, the Beatles never existed and that there were doubles and triples. And yeah, I have heard the theory that Paul was dead the whole time or like very early on. There's yeah. a lot of clues in the album covers and things like that to that. But this was a new one when you brought that to my attention. I wonder if this is the guy that's behind that movie yesterday that's coming about uh... or coming out about. Kind of this very thing that presenting this universe of what if the Beatles never existed and what if this one guy just decided to pass off all their songs as his own. One single guy, one little <laughs> failing singer-songwriter right. who remembers all their songs as anyone that ever learned how to play guitar should um, is the only guy that remembers the it Beatles. It looks good. It, I it looks entertaining. Yeah, I'll go see it for yeah. sure. Well, speaking of body doubles for the Beatles, there is a movie called I Want to Hold Your Hand that I want to highlight today because body doubles were used for the Beatles in this film. It's almost like an American graffiti type film where you see what the the uh, adventures of this group of friends over the course of a night that are trying to get in to the Ed Sullivan show to see the Beatles perform live. And of course it was this huge deal back then. These group of friends want to get into the Ed Sullivan show for different reasons. One wants to kind of boycott the thing. One wants to get rid of the broadcast. And the others are just like these huge, giant fans of the Beatles. But they find very clever ways of inserting the Beatles into this film without you ever actually seeing the real Beatles or ever actually hearing their real voices. Clever. Very clever. There's even uh, an Ed Sullivan impersonator who is spot on. <laughs> and these movies say nothing of the actual movies that the actual Beatles did do, like Yellow Submarine. Right, right. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. If it's not his first movie, it's his second movie, also produced by Steven Spielberg. So you know you're going to have a great time, and it is a good time. So check it out. I Want to Hold Your Hand, which, of course, is the title of a Beatles song. Not written by some Joe Schmo, but the Beatles themselves. (laughs) That's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Join us next week on Screen Cleaning. We're here each and every Saturday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio.